Last week, uh, Pastor Randy was here and he talked about how Proverbs 31, typically that's a passage geared towards women and how he talked about how it can be applied to the bride of Christ, uh, being all, all the church being the bride of Christ. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, so I thank him for coming out again. But the week prior to that, we were in 1 Kings chapter 18, and uh, what an amazing chapter that was. Uh, just to kind of bring everybody up to speed on where we're at in 1 Kings. Uh, the nation of Israel has split. The northern ten tribes are being governed by King Ahab uh, at this point. Uh, uh, Elijah is a prophet sent to the northern ten tribes. Elijah, remember, if you remember back in... Uh, in chapter 17, Elijah proclaimed a drought on the land, and then he took off. And we, as we studied chapter 17, we saw the Lord kind of met Elijah every step along the way. And he never gave him the next step until he fulfilled the step that he was on. And, and the, he put him by a brook, and the brook dried up. And then he sent him to, uh, the, that was the brook Cherith. Then he moved to Zarephath, to the, to the widow, and, and, the, and he helped uh, sustain her her, uh, her oil and her flour, and then her son died, and he brought, you know, he prayed for her son to come back to life, and he did come back to life. He was raised from the dead, and then he went on, the Lord told him to go back and see uh, King Ahab, and he told King Ahab uh, to call all the prophets of Baal together. Remember that? If you were here in, in chapter 18, Elijah, we had a showdown between Elijah and all the prophets of Baal, and Elijah threw out a challenge to him. He said, listen, you guys build your altar, I'll build my altar, and you guys can go first, and they, he let them go first. He goes, we're going to see whichever God calls down fire from heaven, then that'll be the God, the, 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 tr- the one true God. So the prophets of Baal, there was 400 of them. They built the altar and they danced around the altar. They cut themselves. Elijah even actually kind of made fun of them a little bit and told them to scream a little bit louder. Maybe their God's in the bathroom or maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's gone away on a trip or anything like that. And, and, and nothing happened when they cried out. And then Elijah said, listen, now it's my altar. I want you to uh, pour water over the altar three times. And then when he cried out to the Lord, what happened? Fire came down from heaven. It consumed the altar, it consumed the water. Uh, God wanted to show that he was the God, that he was the God of Israel, and it wasn't the God of Baal. And then Elijah went on to slay all 400 of the, uh, of the prophets of Baal. And then Ahab, he told Ahab to get in your chariot and go on home, and, and that's where we pick up the story. So Ahab's on his way back home. Ahab's married to a woman named Jezebel, and he's on his way back home, and we're going to pick that up in chapter 19, verse 1. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he went and he saw that he arose and he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. So what we see is Ahab, rather, is going home to his wife Jezebel. He walks into the palace and, hey, how was your day, honey? Oh, listen, Jez, my day wasn't really good. We had some problems today. What happened? Well, all the, all the prophets of Baal are dead. What happened? Tell me all about it. Well, we had this showdown and they called, and the guy, you know, Elijah, the one that's been getting in, yeah, yeah we don't like him. Yeah, well, he called, he, his God called down fire from heaven and, our, and our, God, our, our God Baal, he couldn't do anything. He didn't even show up. He didn't even come there. So Elijah had killed all the prophets of Baal. And uh, how do you think she took to that? You would think that her response would have been, well, let's worship the God of heaven. Let's worship Elijah's God. Let's worship, let's worship that God. But she doesn't take too kindly to that. Instead, what does she say? So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life, she's speaking to Elijah here, as the life of one of them by tomorrow 
about this time. So she threatens Elijah. She sends word to him. Hey, Elijah, I tell you what, you killed all those prophets. By the way, I'm going to kill you. Or let the gods do to me also. So let the gods do to me. In other words, let the gods kill me also if I'm going to kill you by tomorrow at this time. Now, Elijah, he's coming off an incredible unbelievable spiritual high. Can you imagine being the guy that got to call down fire? I'd love to be able to call. Just once could I call down fire from heaven. I mean, I could have fun with that. But he calls down this fire from heaven, and then here comes Jezebel. She puts out a threat to him and says, listen, I'm, I'm going to let the gods kill me, but, or I'm going to kill you by tomorrow at this time. And Elijah, what does he do? He takes off running. He's, he's afraid. He takes off running. Look what it says. And when he saw that, he, this is Elijah, he arose and ran for his life. Why is he so afraid? Doesn't he know that, he, that, that he's serving the, the, the one true God? Doesn't he know that he could just zap her with a lightning bolt if God wanted him to? But he takes off running. Why would he, why would he be so afraid? Oftentimes, your greatest, uh, your, your greatest defeat spiritually follow your greatest victory spiritually. He's had an incredible up spiritually. And now all of a sudden, as he thinks he's on top, all of a sudden, you, you, know, you, want, you don't want to know what really threw him for a loop? God didn't do what he thought he was going to do. And this is my conjecture here. This is what I think. I think Elijah thought that when he called down fire from heaven, I think he thought all of Israel was going to turn away from false gods and repent, including Jezebel and Ahab. And that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Instead, instead Elijah exposed the lies of Baal. He thought they would repent when he did that, but as he, as he exposed the lies and the falsehood of the worship of Baal, he thought the nation would repent and turn back to God, but that's not what happened. Jezebel doesn't want that at all. She, he's ruined her, style, her, her lifestyle. These are 400 prophets that sat at her table. These are, this is, this is her, her, her people, if you will, and now he's, he's ruined her lifestyle. She doesn't want anything to do with God. So what does Elijah do? He runs away. He takes off running. Anybody ever run from their problems? Anybody go, I'm getting out of here. I can't take this anymore. I'm running out of this relationship. I'm running out of this job. I'm running out of this marriage. I'm running, whatever it is. You know, oftentimes that's our first, that's the first thing that happens. We want to, something happens, something doesn't go the way that we expect it. God doesn't do exactly what you think that he should do the way that he should do it. Because I don't doubt for a moment, Elijah had a preconceived idea of what God was going to do. What do we do? Our first, our first thing that we want to do is run away. And that's exactly what it does. It says, when he saw it, he arose and he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba. It's about 80 miles to the south. He leaves his servant there. Then in verse 4, what does he do? But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a broom tree or a juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Here's Elijah, the prophet of God. The one that just called down fire from heaven, he doesn't get the response that I believe that he's looking for from God. By the way, we're guilty of that sometimes too, aren't we? You ever thought God was going to do something in a certain way and he doesn't do it and it kind of messes you up in the head? And you think, well, God, I I thought for sure you were going to do something here. When I first started our Bible study that, that became this church, you know, the first week I had about a dozen people tell me, I'll be there. We were, meet, we were going to meet over at the Queen City Creamery. I had gone there, and, and we had, we'd reserved the upstairs room, and we were going to meet there. And, and I had about a dozen people say, I'm going to, we'll meet you guys there. I'm looking forward to the Bible study. We'll meet you there. And I don't remember at the time, whether it was 6.30 or 7 o'clock, whatever it was. I think it was a Wednesday night. 
No, maybe a Thursday night. I can't remember. Was it Wednesday, Kevin? Wednesday night. Uh, here I am. I'm, I'm upstairs in the Queen City Creamery looking out the window, looking for any one of those 12 people. I'm watching my watch. You know, all right, it's quarter till. All right, last minute. All right, it's five till. All right, it's seven o'clock and there's no one here. And it's five after seven and there's no one here. It's 10 after seven. There's no one here. It's quarter after. I don't th- honey, I don't think anybody's coming. No, well, they, they must have forgot. Maybe next week. They'll, they'll, they'll remember next week, right? So the next week, you know what happened? The exact same thing. Nobody showed up. Nobody showed up for two weeks. The third week, one person showed up. It was Kevin. One person showed up. After the second week, I said, God, I don't understand. You told me to start the Bible study. You even, you even told me where to start it. You, you even, how, how is it that no one's showing up? And what do you do with the 12 people that said they'd be there? And you can't call, hey, where were you? You can't do that. But then the third one, somebody showed up. And from there, it was a few more people and a few more people. And for a long time, we were, we were rather small. And it was just a few of us, a handful of us, four or five of us, ten of us. And it just stayed that way for several years. And it wasn't the way that I expected God to start the ministry. It wasn't, it wasn't, what I, it wasn't the way that I envisioned things happening. You know, I had bigger plans. I had other ideas. And the Lord put on my heart, are you faithful to teach the one that's here? Are you faithful to teach two? Will you teach three? Will you prepare the same way for one that you prepare for a whole church full of people? Or are you just going to take it the easy way out? You see, Elijah expected God, and I believe he expected all of Israel to repent there at that because of that unbelievable, miraculous showing of the power of God. And when he didn't get it, and instead he gets his life threatened, he takes off. Now, fortunately, I didn't run. I stayed here. But I often wonder how often and how, how many times people start ministries or pastors go out to plant churches, they don't get the results they expect, and then they take off running because it wasn't what they thought should happen or it wasn't what they envisioned or how, how they thought it would happen. Now, here's the cool thing. Elijah takes off running, and then he turns around. She's, he's afraid of her, and he shouldn't be, but he turns around running. Notice it says in verse 4, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. When he got there in verse 3, when he got down to uh, Beersheba, he leaves his servant there. And then he goes a day's journey by himself. When you're running away from something, and then you set yourself in isolation... That's not a good uh, prescription for what's going to come next. You see, when Elijah is running because he's fearful, and now he isolates himself. He wants to get away, all because he's afraid of Jezebel and the threat that she made. He wants to get away. He's, he's, now he's isolated himself. And what's he, when, we re, when we see him out in the wilderness, what's he talking about? He's sitting under a broom tree or a juniper tree, and then he prays. What does he pray? Lord, just kill me. Just kill me, Lord. I'm no good. I've had enough. Just, that's it. I can't take it anymore. Lord, just kill me. I've had enough. It's time to go home. Just kill me so I can go to heaven, Lord. That's it. I've had enough. In other words, he says to the Lord, look what he says. It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. But notice what he says in the last part of the verse. For I am no better than my father's. I am no better than my father's. Why would he say that? Because he's looking at the sin in his life. Now, do you ever feel... You ever realize I'm doing the wrong thing and you feel worse because you're doing the wrong thing? Elijah realizes I'm no better than my father's. He's looking at the sin in his life. Do you know where he made his mistake? He's taken his eyes completely off God. He's not looking at the Lord. What's he looking at? His situation. And his situation says your life is in danger. 
He's not looking at his God. He's not looking at his creator. He's looking around at his circumstance that he's walking through this life in. And as he does, he runs away, he isolates himself, and I think we could probably even say we find him depressed. Because you've got to be pretty depressed when you look up and you go, Lord, that's it, I'm done. I'm done, forget this whole prophet thing, I've had it, I'm out of here. Matter of fact, just kill me, just take my life right now. That's an unanswered prayer, by the way, because the Lord doesn't take his life. Or I guess you could say it was an answered prayer, what did the, the Lord say? No, I'm not taking your life, I've got work for you to do. I'm not taking your life. But he's run away, he's isolated, and now he finds himself depressed. He finds himself depressed, so much so that he doesn't even want to live anymore. He just wants to die. In verse 5, as he, as he laid and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water, so he ate, drank, and he, what? He lay down again. He went back to sleep. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time, and he touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went in strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb. Now, here's the amazing thing in Elijah's life. He's got his mind, he's got his eyes focused on his circumstance, which is never a good thing. He's taking him off who his God is, and he's focused on his circumstance. He's run away from his problems. He's isolated himself from his servant. He's out in the wilderness by himself. But notice God has not left him. God is still there with him. God is providing for him physically. Let me get you some food. Let me have the angel come and make you a cake. And let me, let me get you something to eat. You need, you need to eat. And we're not going to let you die. We're not going to let you die. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been that person who's run away. You've isolated yourself. You find yourself depressed. You find yourself even crying out to God, God, just kill me. Just, just go ahead. Take my life. Is it comforting now to look back and know that God is still with you? That he hasn't let you go to the wilderness by yourself? He hasn't let you run off by yourself. He's still there. He's still providing. You might not see him. Well, if he'd send me an angel and send me some angel food cake or something like that, it'd be pretty cool too. (laughs) He's still with us in those situations. Depression is a major thing in our culture today. People are walking around depressed all the time. Here's Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, in exactly the same situation. And then the angel of the Lord says to him a second time, arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. When he says that, if we, we, you know, Elijah in the time doesn't really understand what's going on. But we can look back and see God knows that Elijah is not done running yet. He's still running. He's not done. Even though he's partway through. Even though he's already come to the place of, I've run away, I've isolated, I'm depressed. Even though it's not time to end yet. He knows that, God knows he's not done yet. And fortunately, God says, listen, you're not even going to make it without some food, so I'm going to give you some food. And I'm going to send an angel, and he's going to bring you some food, and then you can go ahead and finish your run, and when you're all done, and when you've come to the point where you're ready to be useful to me again, where I can give you more work to do, Elijah, because I'm not done with you yet. I've got stuff for you to do, but when you're done having your little pity party, and, you've, and you're done feeling bad for yourself, and you're done feeling depressed, I'm going to be with you every step of the way, and I'm going to be right there to pull you back and make you useful again. What an amazing God we have. If Elijah was you and you were in charge of him and you, and you were God, what would you say? Well, you, you, how could you not trust my power? 
What's wrong with you, Elijah? Didn't you see me fall down fire from heaven? Didn't you see the fire fall? You want to see another miraculous sign? Let me show you something else, Elijah. But that's not what God does. God instead meets him right where he's at and says, let me get you some food. And by the way, you're not done yet. But when you get done, I'll be there with you. You're not quite there yet, Elijah. God knew that he wasn't done running yet. It says in verse 8, so he arose, he ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. It's about 200 miles away. 40 days, 40 nights, Elijah is running to Horeb. What's Horeb? It's Mount Sinai. It's where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. Uh, You can circle Horeb and write Mount Sinai right next to it. Same area, same place, just under a different name. And as he gets to to Horeb in verse 9, it says, And he went into a cave. He went into a cave and he spent spent the night in that place. And behold, the the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now, don't you think God knew what Elijah was doing there? God knew what he was doing there, right? Oftentimes God asks a question like that, or maybe even in your life, why why would God ask something like that? He's trying to get Elijah to see his own answer. He's trying to let Elijah see. God already knows what he's doing there. He He already sent the angel to sustain him in the food because he knew that he wasn't done running yet. It's the same thing in our life sometimes. God knows the answers of the questions he might ask us or pose to us through his word, but it's for us to see. When we go through a test or a trial or a difficult situation, it's not so God can see how we're going to do in it. He already knows how we're going to do in it. It's so that we can see how we're going to do in it. So we can see, oh, I took my eyes off the Lord. Oh, I did good in that one. I kept the faith. I, I didn't falter. It's so that we can open that. That's the purpose of a test. It's so, you know, when you go to school and the teacher gives you a test, it's so that she can see if you know the material or not. Well, when God's the teacher, God already knows if you know what the test is, what's on the test. He already has that answer, but he wants to show you. See, the other, the other purpose of a test is so you can see if you know the material or not. If you get 100% A+, plus, guess what? You knew the material. If you get an F, not so much. Didn't spend enough time. You didn't know it. God already knew what Elijah was going to do. So he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And uh, Elijah says in verse 10, And I could just picture, I don't know, I I just hear a whiny voice here. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And what's he say? I alone am left. It's only me, God. Just me. No one else else is out there. I'm I'm the only one left. And now they seek to take my life. They seek to take my life. So you kind of get a picture of what his heart is right here. He's kind of, kind of a little bit whining. He, he says to the Lord, Lord, uh, you know, I've been zealous for you. God, I've done what you asked me to do. I did that fire thing and we won and I killed the prophets of Baal. Why am I running for my life? You ever been there? Where you look at the, Lord, I've done what you, I'm, I'm doing good. How come this bad thing's happening to me in my life? Why are they trying to kill me? And wouldn't it be great if the Lord would just tell him, because I'm working through this in your life. Just, just, just wait. Just, just hang on, Elijah. You're, you're going to be in this book called First Kings. And you're going to be written about. And this whole thing about the prophets of Baal and the fire. It's going to be talked about for thousands of years to come. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be famous. No, just kill me, Lord. I'm the only one left. Nobody's here. You know, when you run away and you isolate yourself and you hit that depression, what do you start doing? I'm the only one. All of your, all of your focus turns where? Turns inward. 
It turns inside. Is, he, he knew when he met Obadiah earlier, he knew there was a hundred prophets that were hidden in a cave by Obadiah and he was feeding them bread and water. So he knew he wasn't the only one left, prophets of the Lord. But that's not what happens. You, you look around, you, you know, you're, he's looking at only himself. He, he's looking at only, he, he felt alone is what it was. I feel like I'm all alone, God. Forget the fact that angels just fed me cake. You know, it'd be pretty cool to see, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't that build your faith a little bit? If you woke up tomorrow morning, there's an angel standing next to your bed. He's making a little cake for you on your nightstand. And, you know, here you go. Breakfast is ready. I mean, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, praise, praise the Lord. You know, it probably wouldn't change your day one bit. I don't know. It might change mine. It might be kind of cool to see. It's what? A little hard to ignore. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine so. But he says to the Lord, I've been very zealous for the God of hosts and for the children of Israel. They've forsaken your covenant. But God, they've tore down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're going to kill me. Listen, when you get to that situation, and, and I'm not talking about when you become depressed like that. And, and I'm not talking about clinical depression, severe psychological, people that need treatment. And there, there, is, there is very, very severe depression that needs to be treated uh, you know, medically. But there's also that thing that we all tend to go through. We have our own little pity parties where we all kind of go off, off, the, off the rails for a, for a day or a two or a week or something like that where we, we really find ourselves where we're gonna, I'm not going to church. I'm going to stay in the house by myself. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going I'm to do all these things. We find ourselves doing that thing. I'm going to tell you how to get out of it. I'm going to tell you a very easy way to get out of it. Ask yourself this question. Who am I focusing on? Am I focusing on me and my problems or am I focusing on the Lord and how he can take care of my problems? Who am I focusing on? I want you to go back into the word. Who am I in the Lord? Remember who you are in the Lord. Elijah thought he was all alone. Sometimes when we get there, we might think we're all alone too. But guess what? I'm not alone. You're not alone. The Lord's with us. And there's, if, if you come to this church, there's a whole church of people behind you. All you do is pick up the phone and let us know. You know, we'll come and have lunch with you. We'll call you. We'll hang out with you. We'll do whatever you need. But you're not alone there. Who am I in the Lord? What has the Lord given you to do? And are you doing it? In other words, has the Lord called you to do something and, and you've just forsaken it because you've gotten off the rails and now you're sitting home thinking about yourself? And lastly, I think this is probably the most important. Take your mind off yourself and begin serving others. When, you, when you're having your little pity party, and, you're, and I understand it happens, you know, when you're having it and, and you're feeling down and you're feeling out and no one cares and you're the only one and no one can understand me, take your mind off yourself and go find out someone else to serve. Go look at somebody else's life and say, hey, how can I help you? What's going on with you? And you'll find that that's a real cure for what's going on in your life. You'll realize all of a sudden, go find somebody with problems greater than yours. You ever had that? You're, you're, you're having your own pity party and you're feeling like life is bad and, you know, poor me, uh, you know, whatever. And then someone comes, oh, yeah, I just got diagnosed with cancer. And they said, I only have three months to live. <gasps> All of a sudden, my problems don't seem so bad anymore. You know, go find somebody else to, to spend some time with and serve, serve somebody else. Get your mind off of yourself. Because that's what happens when you run and you isolate and you depress. And you, oh, you're the only one. And you've got to break that cycle. You've got to get out there. Remember who you are in the Lord. Find someone else to serve. Ask yourself, what am I focusing on? Where's my mind going? Is it going on the, you know, in Philippians, the things that are above, the profitable, pure, the, the things that are holy, those things that are true? Or am I letting my mind run wild into places it shouldn't be? Am I letting my mind think all these bad things about other people? And, and get back into it where you know, I, I, that's not who I am. And get back around people. And it's important that we're around that fellowship. Elijah's sitting in a cave on Mount Horeb. And God shows up and says to him, wouldn't that be enough to get you out of it? 
Next time if you're depressed, if God says, hey, what are you doing here? Uh, having a pity party? Well, get going. I got work for you. No, God, I'm the only one. And, and I might die out there. Have you, have you been in the world lately? You know what's going on out there? Have you forgot who I am? Have you forgot that I'm the God of creation? That I can, I can, that I, I am over all things. Everything is subject to me. We like to, we need to hear that sometimes. So God says to Elijah in verse 11, he says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Elijah, I want you to go stand on, get out of the cave, go stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. It means a delicate, whispering voice. A still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard that, heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. This is, a, this is a sign of humility. And he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So picture that. Here you have God in verse 11 saying, go out and stand by the mountain before the Lord. Now, some people would say that he never really went because it says a little bit later that he went, he went out. I think he went out and stood and then when that first rock broke, he ran back inside the cave. That's probably what I would have done. You know, you stand out there and all of a sudden the Lord passes by and the rocks break and the wind comes and the fire comes. And now you're, you go, well, I don't want any of that. You know, I figure I'm, I'm in trouble now. Boy, you know, you, when your mom and dad used to yell at you, your first and last name, you know you're in trouble. When God passes the wind and the fire and the, and the earthquake and all that stuff, you know you're, you know you're in big trouble. So here he comes out and, it, and the Lord says to him, and he hears the still small voice. And, the, and after the fire, a still small voice, that delicate whispering voice. Aren't you glad that's the way the Lord is? Not the fire, not the wind, not the earthquake. That still small voice. So when Elijah heard it, he wraps his face in the mantle. It shows his humility. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, and I, think the vo- I think this voice was just as still and just as small. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And he said, Elijah answers him, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. So he gives God the same answer. But I like the question, what are you doing here? What are you, yeah, have you ever been someplace in your life, and I don't necessarily mean physically, maybe you're in a spiritual place, where the Lord might even say to you tonight, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What, you, you've been on the run. You've isolated yourself. Maybe tonight someone's sitting here, and, and this is what they, as I share this, you go, that's me, that's where I am. The Lord would say the same thing to you. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, the interesting thing, and the cool section about this before we move on, Elijah is in the cave or in the rock on Mount Horeb. Many commentators have gone so far to believe that this is the same rock that Moses was put into when Moses was put into the cleft of the rock back in Exodus chapter 33. Remember the story where he came, he remember Moses came down off Mount Sinai with the 10 commandments and he found the people worshiping the golden calf. And you remember that story or no? Some, some of you do. Let's, let's, let's turn to Exodus chapter 33 real quick. 
Moses comes up, comes down off Mount Sinai. He finds the, the, the nation Israel worshiping the golden calf. And uh, he, he throws down the Ten Commandments, the tablets. And then in Exodus chapter 33, verse, uh, the, well, I'm going to kind of summarize for you because we don't have time to read it all. But the Lord tells Moses to get up and get moving, to pack the people up and get going. And, and in chapter 33, verse 3, Moses says this, I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. You are, oh, this is God speaking to the people, or God speaking to Moses. He says, I'm not going up with you, Moses. You're going on your own. And Moses would later on say, Lord, I'm not going unless you go. I'm, these are your people. I'm not leaving unless you leave. God, I'm staying right here unless your presence is going with us. And uh, in verse 13 of chapter 33, now therefore, this is Moses. He says, I pray, if I've found grace in your sight, Show me your way that I may know and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people, God. So he's putting the nation of the people back in, in, in God's hands. And uh, the Lord says to him in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, then we're not going. Then do not bring us up from here. We're, we're staying here. And then he says a little bit farther down in verse 17, he says, Lord, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. So in verse 13, he says, show, he says I, I, have a, uh, I, I want to know you. And here in verse uh, 18, he says, please show me your glory. And then the Lord says, all right, I want you to make up some new tablets of stone. And then it says, it tells us he does. And uh, in verse 22, now it shall be when my glory pass. Oh, back up a little bit. Verse 21. Uh, let's start in verse 20. I just go all the way back to verse 1. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, so Moses says to God, please show me your glory. And in verse 19, <laughs> then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you, he said, Moses, you can't see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the what? The rock. What's the rock a picture of? Jesus Christ, you shall stand on the rock. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim my, oh, I already did that. Stand on the rock, verse 22. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. And people think, some commentators think that, they're, that, that uh, Elijah and Moses are in the exact same rock here on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai in the same area. Now, whether they are or not, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's be pretty amazing if they were. So it shall be that my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but the face shall not be seen. Then going on down to, uh, he's going to make some more tablets of stone in verse through, one, verses 1 through 4. And then down at verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, God merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty and visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children's and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. So Moses says to God here in the same area, the same, very close to the same area, Lord, I need to see your glory before I go anywhere. And the Lord shows him, he passes by, shows him the characteristics of God there. There's several characteristics of God. 
And here, back to, back to 1 Kings, here we have Elijah in the, almost the exact same spot or possibly the exact, exact same spot. He has run and, and hid himself there. Here in, in, in the cave of the rock, the Lord passes by and he's not in the earthquake. He's not in the wind. He's not in the fire. He's there in this still small voice. And he asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives him the same response. Lord, I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. They've broken down all the altars. I'm I'm it, Lord. I'm the only one you've got. And then in verse 15, the Lord says to him, we're back in 1 Kings chapter 19. The Lord says to him in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, go. In other words, it's time to get back in the game, Elijah. It's time to get out of the cave. Your running is over. You're done. The food that the angel gave you has sustained you. It's time to go. And then the Lord would say, that might say the same thing to you tonight. Maybe he's saying to you, what are you doing here? And his next follow-up statement would be, go, return on your way to the wilderness to Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. In other words, I've got work for you to do, Elijah. You've got to get out of this cave. You've got to get out of this depression. You've got to get out of this thing that you're in. There, there's, there's, there's heavenly work. You're not done being a prophet yet. I, and a matter of fact, I, matter of fact, you're done right now. Forget this pity party ends, and you've got work to do. So go. Go. And in verse 17, it shall be that whoever es- escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And look at verse 18. Oh, by the way, Elijah, Elijah, just because you think you're the only one, I want to tell you one more thing. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God meets Elijah right where he's at, meets him right in the midst of his depression, meets him right in the midst of his running from the Lord, helps meets his physical needs along the way. But at the very right time, the Lord says, what are you doing here? It's time to go. And Elijah's going to respond to that. And he says, oh, by the way, Elijah, your biggest concern, that you're the only one, there's 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed a knee to Baal. I've got that covered. Your life, your fear doesn't say it here in the scripture. I've got that covered too. I've got everything that you're worried about, I've got covered. Everything that you're, all those problems and your things that you're letting creep into your life, Elijah, I've got it covered. I can handle those. Don't worry about it. Give them to me. Let me take care of them. My plan is, is perfect. My plan is, is right. Trust me, Elijah, on this. Trust me. What does he do? Verse 19. So he departed from there. He went. He went. Sometimes people get stuck where they're in this place. They're in the cave of life. They're running from things. And the Lord says, what are you doing here? And you make the excuses. And then the Lord says, go. And you go, oh, I'm not yet. Not right yet. I'm not, I'm not sure. Did I really hear from God? Is, 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 does God really want me to go do something? Does, no, I'm just going to stay here in my, in my pity party. I'm going to stay here in my life. And, and I'm just going to leave things the way they are. No, no, I'm, no, no, not now. You see, Elijah went. He went. The question is, will you go? Will you stay there? Or will you, or will you do, do exactly? There's chances are. And I don't know if this is anybody in here tonight. But if it is you... There's a good chance by the fact that you're here and you're hearing this message that God is saying to you through his word, what are you doing here? And he's telling you to go and to stop doing whatever it is that you're doing, shouldn't be doing or whatever that is. 
That's how the Lord works. Elisha says he departed from there and he found Elisha. That's going to be his, his, the prophet that's going to follow him. He found he was, he was uh, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he was with the 12th and Elisha passed by him and he threw his mantle on him and he left the oxen and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and they boiled their flesh and using the oxen's equipment and they gave it to the people and they ate and they arose and followed Elisha and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now don't get Elijah and Elisha confused because Elisha will be the prophet that follows Elijah. Here's the big picture of this. Here's a man, Elijah, that God starts out using. And God says, Elijah, I want you to do a few things. I want you to go to Ahab and proclaim a drought. Tell him it's not going to rain unless it's at your word. Then I want you to take off. And I want you to go sit by the brook for a while where I can minister to you. And when the brook dries up, I'm going to move you on. And step by step, God moves him from the brook. And he moves him down to Zarephath to the widow's house. And three and a half years later, he tells Elisha, now I want you to go see Ahab. Go see him. Go see him. Meets Obadiah along the way. Learns there's a hundred prophets of the Lord that are being kept in caves. Calls upon the, the prophets of Baal. Has this showdown. And um, it, what, what seems to be a life... Uh, popularity is on the rise, really cool miracles happen. Call, I mean, calling down fire from heaven is not something you see every day. His life seems to be doing really well. He's, he's climbing, in the, climbing the spiritual ladder, so to speak. And all of a sudden, Jezebel says, no, I want him dead. And all of a sudden, he comes crashing down. And I believe it's because he didn't see God do what he thought God should do right there at that moment. And he takes off running. And the wonderful thing is God doesn't abandon him. God doesn't abandon him. God meets him right there along the way. God provides food for him. He even tells him, your journey, you're going on a journey, arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. You can't even handle what you're doing to yourself, Elijah, but I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to walk through this with you. I'm going to be it. God knew that he wasn't done running yet, so he takes off 200 miles, hides in a cave, and again, God says, what are you doing here? And again, he makes the excuses. And how many times have we done that very same thing? Or you say to the Lord, well, Lord, you don't understand. He does understand. Well, Lord, you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't live in, you aren't tempted with the same things that I'm tempted with. You know, back when you lived on, when Jesus walked on the earth, no. He's been tempted in all ways, just like man, the scripture tells us. He's endured all of the temptations that we've ever had. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon would say. All the temptations that we experience today are the same things they experienced then. It's all, it's all there. It's all the same thing. And yet I love the fact that the Lord doesn't forsake Elijah. He doesn't turn his back on him. He doesn't say, you've blown it. Instead, he walks with him through the desert area. At the very right time, he says, Elijah, let me show you. Let me show you. Go on out inside that rock and you take a look. Here I am. And the wind and the rocks, the wind and the, and the earthquake and the fire come by. And then Elijah hears that still, small voice, that quiet, whispering voice of the Lord. And he says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's time to pick up the pieces. It's time to get back in the game. It's time to stop running. It's time to accept what I've called you to do. It's time to let me be God and you be the servant. You do what I tell you to do. Quit being afraid of Jezebel. I've got taken care of her. Wait till you see what happens to her in the coming chapters. If you don't already know, you'll be surprised. It's, it's all taken care of, Elijah. Trust me on this. Matter of fact, I've got such great plans for you. You don't even know what I'm about to do with you, Elijah. It's going to be amazing. Just trust me on this. 
but I need you to go. I need you to go. It's time to get out of the cave. It's time to, time to end the pity party. It's time to let me handle your fears. Quit being afraid of what you're facing, Elijah. Quit being afraid of the problem that's creeping in on your life. I've got this, God would say. You ever been there? You ever been to the point where you're afraid of what you're facing, what the problem is, where you're looking at life going, ah, and, and you, work, you get yourself all worked up, and you, you do these very same things. You isolate, you get depressed. You, it happens to you. I think God would say, I've got this. Let me handle it. Let me, let me deal with the situation. Let you just keep, you go and do what I've asked you to do. You pursue what I've called you to pursue, Elijah. I know you're running. That's okay. I'm going to be with you. But there's coming a day where I'm going to tell you to go, and I need you to go. And he does. He goes. And he does. And the amazing thing is God told him, I want you to go find Elisha, and, and you're going to anoint him. And he does it. He does all the things. Jehu will be the next king. We, we see all of the things that Elijah is doing. And it's amazing how God does that. I love when we can take the pictures of the Bible and we can bring them back and apply them to our life. And we can say, listen, I understand what Elijah's going through. Because we've all been there at some point. Next time, if it's not tonight, next time you have a desire to run, remind yourself, God's bigger than your problem. Next time you have a desire to isolate yourself from the people at church because, some, because Satan's crept, crept in and told you they don't like you or something like that, remind yourself of the truth of God's word, who you are in Christ. Remind yourself, don't, don't believe the lies. Next time you're depressed, find someone else to serve. Find someone else to minister to. Find someone else to reach out to. Find someone else. Get your mind off of the inside of you and, get it, and open it up. Get your mind off of your problem and look at your God. And realize that your God is much bigger than your problem is or the circumstance or the situation. Whatever it is, he's much larger and he can handle it. I can't say that it'll... And and if it doesn't work out the way that you think it should, you don't need to take off running. You can just look and go, God, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that, but I I know that you did. That's That's where you get a chance to see your faith. And if you need wisdom on what to do, James tells us, ask him for wisdom and he'll give it to you. But Lord, I'm in the middle of a problem. I don't know what to do. I have a big decision to make. What do I do? James says just if you need wisdom, ask for it and he'll give it to you. But ask in faith. If you don't ask in faith, you won't get it. You'll be like a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's what James says. We talk with the guys. We're studying through James. We got it right on fresh on our mind. We talked about it in my group last night. You know, those are the things that, that remember these things. Because if you're not in the problem tonight, it's coming. It's only it, it's in this life it's going to happen. But don't run. But if you do, know this, God's not going to let you run alone. He's going to run right there with you. He's going to be right there with you. And he's going to provide for you. And he's going to feed you. And you're going to think, I'm all alone. I'm the only one. You've got angels making food cake for you. Or chair, chair, angel cake, whatever it is. No, he's going to provide for you. And at the right time, at the right time, he's not going to answer all those dumb prayers. That, Lord, just kill me now. No. He's not going to answer him. He'll answer him. He's just going to tell you no. But the right time, he'll say to you, go. I've got work for you to do. Go. Then you'll have another decision to make. Will you go? Or will you stay in the cave? Close the door. And totally reject what God's called you to do. (coughs) Father, we thank you for this time in your word tonight. We thank you that we can gather and, and read of these great men of God and see their humanity Lord, often Elisha is not remembered for this. He's remembered for calling down fire from heaven. But yet we see that he's human. 
He's fearful of Jezebel. He's looking at his earthly circumstances just like we do, totally neglecting God and his power and his strength. Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody here tonight or any of us that to be reminded of this scripture, if we're in that cave and tonight's the night you're saying go, what are you doing here? Would we answer in faith? Would we not make excuses, but instead may we just pack up and go and do exactly what the Lord's called us to do?